LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat. Beginning in August 2020, Freedom from Fear is a free-form discussion series taking the title as its starting point. In this episode, Kingsley Dennis and I explore fear as a response to an increasingly chaotic world. As mainstream explanations for global events increasingly ring hollow, millions of people are struggling to comprehend what's happening to their lives. The resulting confusion and distress can cause us to close up and shut down, mentally and emotionally. Cognitive dissonance can narrow our perceptions and trigger feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. Stepping back from the chaos and taking a wider view, however, can help us break out of destructive cycles of reacting and overreacting and place our fears in perspective. Hi Kingsley, thanks for joining us once again today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks Greg, Um, thanks for inviting me to speak with you again. Uh, Today, Kingsley, we're on uh, episode two of a new, uh, slightly more informal series that I've started, and it's entitled Freedom from Fear. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that for listeners who didn't catch the first one, just what where this is going and what inspired it. Uh, Before we start, just briefly let the newbies know a little bit about your background and work. Yes, sure, Greg. Um well, uh, my background, I was teaching at university, um, first in literature and then in sociology. I've uh, taught and worked in universities uh, abroad and in the UK. Uh, last, my final years at university were teaching at the Lancaster University. Then I decided to go solo and to be a, a freelance writer and researcher and looking at um, social patterns of change and especially tied with consciousness and how social uh, patterns and consciousness thinking patterns are aligned and so I've been looking at those things for the last decade really, the last 10 years I've been uh, putting out articles and books to, to examine that and looking at uh, as one book was called The Struggle for Your Mind, how we are um, you know uh, uh, kind of tied in with these things Patterns and looking at the, the the transition of how the world's changing through through systemic change, and the final uh, work that I put out was called "Healing the Wounded Mind: uh, Mass Psychosis of the Modern World and the Search for the Self." So, really, my journey has been to to uh, really investigate the world around me and how our minds, our hearts, and our own living patterns uh, are all intertwined. So it's really an integrated perspective, and I've tried to live that way and live close to the land. Uh, you may, well, you know that I live in southern Spain, grow my own vegetables, and uh, 
try as best as possible, Greg, to live a balanced life um, in all in all its forms. So that's uh, that's a brief roundup. Okay, so this idea of mine, freedom from fear, now that came to me quite recently and it was just three words that popped into my head when I was daydreaming or whatever it was, just uh, looking for inspiration. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds like a thing. What can I do with that? And it, it came from, I guess, a, a subconscious response within me to what's going on in the world at the moment. We're recording this at the end of August 2020 and the coronavirus pandemic and all the attendant chaos is still unfolding as a ra- unfolding around us and there is tremendous fear at the moment and it seems to be the predominant emotion the predominant symptom in all of this actually is just people are t- afraid for all sorts of reasons whether it's of the the virus or of what's happening to their livelihoods worries about the future where all this is going loss of freedoms i mean there's the, the list is almost endless and so the idea here is that uh, with people like yourself, uh, we're just going to have a free-form dialogue taking freedom from fear as our starting point, with the, the object being, if there indeed there is one, that perhaps some of our thoughts and reflections and ideas and musings might be of some value to people struggling with fear in their lives or just worried about uh, what lies ahead, whether it's practical tips and advice or whether it's something a bit more um, you know, abstract, and, and esoteric, um, just but things that may prove useful for people on the journey here that we're all on. From me personally, my personal relationship with fear has always been one of that beyond a instinctual fight or flight survival reaction to something that is not something that I, no one enjoys feeling afraid, but it's something I've actively tried to have control over not to suppress as such because that can be dangerous but to to move away from to always be striving to to master if you see what i mean and to see threats and dangers be they real world or abstract or you know purely within the mind be they personal or be they public global whatever to just try to see these things clearly and to understand what we should be afraid of and what we should not and I've concluded that there's almost nothing really short of like a tiger just dropping through the roof of your living room <laughs> confronting you there's very little mm-hmm. that actually warrants genuine fear but at the minute people seem to be possessed by it and it is, as I said earlier it's running rampant and raging and it's being fueled wittingly or otherwise by the, you know the information matrix that we live in all everything coming at us from the media Sure, Greg. And uh, there's a phrase that you just mentioned, which I picked up on specifically. Uh, you talked about abstract fear. Um, when I'm listening to you, I was thinking, well, you're right. Fear uh, has always been with us and has been a useful part of our uh, instinctive toolkit. But there's different types of fear. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of survival fear, which I think has always developed with us as a species. And it's within most species. They probably wouldn't interpret it as fear but there's a like you say a, a flight or fight um tendency evolutionary fear is a way to to keep us away from danger you know there's no point trying to um approach the fear in a wrong way you know, there's no point like standing in the middle of a road when a truck's coming and saying i have no fear i have no fear um well, you know when it's going to hit you head on so there's there's practical ways i think of looking at fear 
And one is to acknowledge that it's an instinctual tool. But then I think there's another type of fear, and it's been um, perhaps um, twisted or, or uh, adopted. Uh, there's a fear which is part of modern life, and I think that's the abstract fear. It's, uh, it's taken away from the evolutionary biological fear, and it's, it's, it's a part of this um, artificial construct that we call modern life. And this could be fear of everything. It could be fear of, of um, disease. It could be a fear of losing your job, a fear of insecurity, a fear that your, um, your, your neighbor is um, untrustworthy, a fear that your friends don't like you. Um, there's so many fears that, and some of them have a basis and some maybe are, are being blown out of all proportion. Um, there was, you know, uh, psych the psychologists have been noted as saying the one fundamental fear that we have is the fear of death, and everything else is built around that. So, as you said, if you know, apart from a tiger dropping from the roof, um, if we have that's the major fear, and everything else is tied into that. And so, the fear of of disease or insecurity may be ultimately a fear of losing all. But I think um, we're kind of I think modern life is, is losing perspective. And part of that is that the media specifically, I think, has to show some of the responsibility for shifting fear into a emotional level. And, and that way that we get tied into fears that, um, have been built up over, over smaller things. Fear of, um, emotional, inadequacy or fear of not being uh, worthy and not living up to expectations, fear of, of um, let's say, um, you know, not uh, living up to relationship uh, standards or a fear of not doing the work properly of your boss. And then these build up to psychological fears, which then fear of security. If I lose my job or lose my partner, what do I have? So there's a whole arsenal of fears. And I think um, modern life has kind of put them all into one big bundle and they bounce off each other. It's like, you know, putting all these particles into one bag and they just bounce off each other. And it's, it's more difficult to gain perspective. And I think the media has a has a kind of askew perspective on fear and that's something which um, I think we need to address the perspective and, and the, uh, the scale of them and, and try to trace fears back to their source and to see if they're if they're like um, you know genuine or not so I think there's a whole bag to, to kind of uncover there Greg. Well if there's one thing that we can learn from whether it's in psychoanalysis or whether it's in some other form of therapy or whether it's just talking with someone close to you. When we look at a lot of the the issues and, and apparent problems, uh, you read it off a list of things there that people could be afraid of or anxious about. They tend to vanish. They tend to wither away when you really analyze them. When you ask the question, what am I afraid of? What am I actually afraid of? You know, what, what, problem I having right now at this moment because a lot of our fears are about the future about what's going to happen and that could be quite mundane you know as you say about whether 
you're going to get, you know, you've, uh, you know, you've done a job interview. Are you going to get the job? You're waiting to hear about it. Uh, the possibility, this is very much a reality now, the possibility that you might be made redundant. You might lose your job is there and you're worrying about that. But however palpable and, and possible in the real world any of these things are, most of them don't exist in the moment, if you see what I mean. So that doesn't mean don't plan for any eventualities or don't take action. But I think for a lot of us, the fear of these things, first of all, uh, as I've mentioned, it exaggerates the the worry, exaggerates the threat, uh, exaggerates what the negative outcome might be, but also just simply gets in the way of taking action, of doing something about it. Because I'm a firm believer in if there's a situation you do not like, then if you can change it, do something about it. And if you can't, accept it. And for a lot of people, that's, you know, that's almost too simple a way of looking at things because again, it means that you, that you need now to either do something, take action or acceptance, but people still want to churn around, you know, the, the issue in their mind, hoping that some other impossible third way will come up. Yes, I think it's good that you mentioned that third way, um, possibility. The thing is, are uh, based around the fact of entrapment. That you feel that, well, I'm in a position and I can't get out and I feel trapped. There's no alternative. And um, I think that's part of the issue is that we have to create alternatives for ourselves and to think about alternatives. And part of that entrapment is that, again, um, modern society has built this whole construct. So, you know, you, you have a job and, and you get a, a house, you may get a mortgage. You may have credit, and then everything you build up is tied into that, and so it becomes a part of a whole construct. So if you think I'm there's a fear of losing job, then I may not be able to pay this. I may not will not be able to pay my credit, and so everything kind of gets linked in. And I think we have to kind of untangle this this whole um, web and see that well. Um, actually, there may be alternatives because usually a perspective is built into a, a, a viewpoint and a, like you say, you have an idea of the way of life. The way of life, I live like this. This is my, let's say, my bubble or something. Um, but sometimes we have to make drastic changes and, and we know that, um, we say that, you know, people are generally, um, anxious of change. No one likes to make major change. But sometimes that is necessary to actually break out of a, a bubble that's just getting tighter and tighter. And especially now, I sense that we are in a time where because there's uh, great external changes going on, we may be forced to make lifestyle changes. Um, but we, sh- we should maybe accept that as an as a opportunity to have a, to refresh something, do something different, do something new. But if we are afraid of making change, that, that just builds up into a whole anxiety bubble of um, of fear because obviously there's so many things tied in together that we you know we feel that we can't break out of that kind of tentacles so I you know I think um, knowing that there's always, always an alternative Greg and there's a great phrase that I like um, I don't know who said it but maybe a psychologist they said that um, a closed door does not necessarily mean that it's a locked door you know, you have to try and open it first. And so I think that what we're talking about now is, is 
um, accepting uh, opportunities that may come from completely out of the blue, come from an unexpected place, and where we should look at those. Things that come out of the blue, we should always take notice of them. And think about change as not something drastic, but think of it as taking an alternative route. And um, as a famous uh, poem by Robert Frost, the, the, the twin path, he said, I, I took the, the path less trodden, and that has made all the difference. Well, it's funny uh, what you just said about things coming out of the blue uh, suddenly took my mind off a, a tangent uh, with regard to um, what I would refer to as positive mind metaphysics. Uh, most people listening will know it simply as positive thinking. They might think of uh, books like The Secret, which you know is obviously a very mainstream, simplified, boiled down package of you know, positive thinking and in terms of making life changes. But the reason I bring this up is because one of the key aspects of positive thinking metaphysics, when you're trying to focus um, your will and your desire on change that you want to see, things that you want to come into your life, one of the things that we are enjoined in that to pay attention to is things that come out of the blue, unexpected things, because you sh it's being more aware of what's going on, sometimes in the periphery of your life, and that's where the opportunities can lie. Now, a lot of people who've never engaged in, in positive thinking uh, or any anything you like to put under that, that, that banner will say the same thing. You know, that, that I just happened to bump into this guy at a conference, you know, and I don't know, he dropped something and I said, hey, buddy, you dropped your thing there. You know, we got talking. Next thing you know, we've got, and we had a business deal together, you know, and things like that can happen. So at the time, the times we're living through now, I think that um, whether you're interested in using the the creative power of your own mind to help direct your life experience then it, we should be paying attention to what we previously have considered to be on the periphery because a lot of what we focused on, just the job we've got, the house we've got, the car we've got, the relationship we have, um, all of these things that we're happy to plod along with. You said people don't like change. It is in the periphery and beyond all of that that um, opportunities can arise because another well-worn uh, cliche is to do with times of crisis and times of opportunity being one and the same. Yes, and opportunity and things out of the blue, uh, Greg, usually come from, let's say, uh, an awareness which is you know, shifting away or drifting or daydreaming, let's say. Awareness which is <clears throat> becoming expansive and breaking out of that, of that narrow focus. And perhaps I, what I sense about most of us living now is that we don't realize how narrow our sense of focus is because We've naturally built up our life around us. We have a routine. We have a rhythm. And that kind of, you get a pattern recognition. And that, that pattern recognition is, is something which stays with you and kind of entrains your mind. Just as a very simple uh, example, you know, you're thinking of, of buying a new car and you've suddenly thought about this model that, um, that has come to your attention. And as soon as you start thinking about that model, you start seeing that car everywhere where you hadn't noticed it before. And, and that's because you're shifting your, your pattern recognition set. And I think 
what happens what happens with fear is that fear even if we don't we're not aware of it fear kind of uh, squeezes us squeezes us into a more narrow uh, perception set and we start to close up same thing as you if you're watching television and the news is depressing and, and it's the news is you're um, you know making you feel bad you kind of you kind of close up you know it's a natural reaction your gut closes up and you say enough of that I don't want it and you you switch off so fear actually closes up the perceptions and the senses and that then um, kind of roll, kind of snowballs into all of that elements it affects us psychologically and then it affects all our social relations and we don't realize how everything is connected I think what we need to do in terms of fear is is the opposite we need to unroll ourselves and we need to allow our awareness to drift to to you know get it out of the narrow perception set and start to see other things um, now with fear for example comes the idea of of cognitive dissonance is that there's cognitive dissonance Dissonance is a term when there's so much uh, uncertainty going on that the human mind can't make sense. It doesn't know, you know, what kind of picture to make of things. There's too much um, contrary information, and that creates a kind of mental discomfort. And because there's too many conflicting attitudes, and that creates fear as well, because you know we all naturally wish for balance and to have a coherent picture. So. The, the the mind especially wants to try to create that uh, that reduced discomfort and create the balance again. So what it tends to do what it tends to do is to to latch on to the first answer. So you know if you're watching uh, if you're listening to news or you listen to a friend, the first coherent explanation that comes along, the mind wants to gravitate because it needs balance, but it may not be the best answer for you. So we need to we need to kind of step back and and, and not um, close up so quickly. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. I think we need to to like kind of not be a clam and close up, but trying to be a sponge and kind of absorb and sponge out. If that's a phrase. Is that a verb, Greb? Sponge out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we could. Well, it is no. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned cognitive dissonance, and that that's very important. That's something that you and I have touched upon. Um, in previous talks. And I think one of the things you're seeing now, because of the extremity of the situation that many people are going through, um, again, it may not be like wartime, you know, there aren't bombs falling on people's homes yet. But for, for many people, they, they never experienced anything like this in terms of upheaval, you know, turmoil, uh, mm-hmm. in, in their own lives and in wider society. And it's that, um, you, you mentioned kind of just going for the, the, the easy answer, the easy explanation, because people want to be able to sleep at night. Uh, it's called, please tell me what's going on. I'm so confused. You know, people now, they're punch drunk. They've, been, they've had months mm-hmm. of contrary, conflicting information flying from all sides, conspiracy theories. I don't use that necessarily. I'm just, that's uh, sort of very, bold, just matter-of-fact category there. I'm not trying to make any judgment uh, call with that. And people just want the answers, you know, like they do in, in any time of crisis. You know, they want someone to tell them how things are so they can get on with their lives. But the easy cherry-picked answers now are not, they're not working. They're not satisfactory for increasing numbers of people for all sorts of reasons, partly because people do sense that, you know, that, that there really is something not right here. 
because I think that what's unfolding now is simply part of bigger meta trends that have been going uh, occurring in the world for well, you yeah, arguably for two hundred years, but in, in our lifetime, certainly, you know, the the latter years of the twentieth century, first part of the twenty first, these great societal trends, economic trends, environmental, political. And so what we're seeing now is just the latest manifestation of that. And it's getting harder and harder for people to be fobbed off deliberately otherwise, even to fob themselves off with easy answers. So I think that cognitive distance is reaching new levels at the minute. And that's part of why, part of why you're seeing so much um, apparent insanity. You know, people literally lashing out you know we see some of the violence that we've seen you know and some of the protests that appear to be very unfocused and uh, it's almost a, a day doesn't go past now when i apparently seem to hear about some shooting or other you know usually in the states and yeah it's 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 um it is a form of collective insanity because of that cognitive dissonance you know what we've been told how things are and how things are going and it doesn't fit with our subjective experience so that old way of doing things is no longer viable. I think, again, a lot of the problem with why people are closing down is because the information they've been giving isn't actionable. It just seems to be one doom scenario after another or one dimension of this, you know, this overall doom scenario. Just everything just seems to get worse, you know. And the worst way to be given that sort of information is to be, have no response. Remember what I was saying earlier about you got a situation you don't like, you either do something about it if you can, or if you cannot, then you accept it. And I think a lot of people feel at the minute very afraid, but they feel that they can't do anything about it, but also that they cannot accept it. And that's a bad um, quandary to be in. Yeah, I agree with you, Greg. And I think the, the primary thing here is that this, whatever is going on in the world, each person needs to be in their own good space. Because if you're not in a good space individually, then you know, you won't be able to do any, you won't be able to help yourself or help others. So, you know, the, you, you rightly said there's a kind of psychosis going around and it seems like it and it's a kind of projection. When we, when, a, when we can't or we don't know how to process something, then naturally we, we project it. Um, that again is a kind of, uh, function of, of how to operate. Just as when the, the body can't deal with a, something toxic, it, it, it expels it, you know, we have a fever, we sweat it out. And I think this kind of uh, social polarization and, and anxiety and conflict we see is, a, is this kind of um, sweating out the toxicity that's coming into our minds. We don't know how to process it because there's so many contradictory facts and information, etc. So we, we kind of throw it out and this is what this is happening is that it's creating uh, social polarization and what i've seen uh, happening is that there's a been a what i would call a a kind of breakdown in social alliances you know we we thrive on social alliances and social relations because that's how we are as social creatures but now now there's fear in those relations and you know, if someone else has a different opinion we tend to react to it rather than uh, leave it or respond to it and so this breakdown in social alliances is you know is fueling uh, the situation uh, rather than anything else so and, it, and i think what it is, what you rightly say is that we need you know people are looking for some kind of explanation um 
And there's a lot of information out there being sent around and, and people know that different cultures and different countries are having different responses to what's going on. So there's no coherency or consistency. Um, what I see happening here in Spain, for example, is different from when I, I know and see and happening in, in the UK. And as you know, I visited the UK recently. And, and so I see these differences. So you think, well, what's going on? There's no coherent narrative. There's no, you know, one plan going on. And I think another thing that we should uh, distinguish is the difference between explanation and understanding. You know, um, the, the easy cherry pick answer, and especially the mainstream, is an explanation. But now people are realizing that the explanation isn't an understanding. It doesn't actually account for what they see happening. There's too many inconsistencies. And the, the narrative just doesn't stick together. It's like we've been told a, you know, a bad fairy tale story and we say, no, 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 it doesn't, doesn't work like that. So I think what, now that we've, we've, we're into this, you know, the, the end of August of this year, uh, at the beginning of the year, people were, were desperate for explanations. And I think that's, that's fair and good. Now that we've had more time to, to assimilate and to look at what's going on, um, I would say now's the time for, for all of us to, to seek uh, an understanding, not an explanation, an understanding that works for us, that puts us uh, in a better space, in a better place. And that may mean stepping back for a while, stepping back from discourse, not engaging with people in, in argument, when because you know, people are... You know, we're getting poached too easily, and we're reacting too too easily. And um, and I've said to to friends and family that you know, let's just step back and and you know, find a space for ourselves first before we you know before we kind of uh, get too tied up in the in the fray. So I so these are some of my thoughts as well, Greg. Yes. Well, we were spoke earlier about change you know and uh, you know people's resistance to change and i think this is natural uh, particularly in the modern world and in, in you know developed societies where stability really has been the mantra and if there is change then it is a positive uh, change you know like more comforts benefits circumstances of life improving as we go along and the big biggest change of all you know, moving beyond this life, again, just remaining absolutely taboo. And you said at the top of the hour, you know, about it's all boiling down to human fear, boiling down to fear of death. Um, that's the conclusion that uh, I came to uh, in episode one. And it's, it's something that I've spoken about again and again, year after year. You know, and this is one thing now, I think, with the virus itself, whatever you think about the threat it actually poses, the ultimate threat is death. And we're being, I think, enjoined yet again to get a more constructive, meaningful relationship with our own mortality. But to finish my point about change, that is being foisted upon us now. Some of it, I would say a lot of it unnecessarily. When I, by that, I mean the wholesale disruption and destruction of economic life. Now, I do question whether that's proportional but the fact remains it's happening if you see what i mean so what i said earlier can you do something about it can you just accept it and i think that decades of let's just say post second world war decades of 
the aforementioned increasing material affluence in certainly in the industrialized West, but in increasing parts of the world seeking to emulate the West, there has been a tendency for people to get into a comfort zone quite quickly. There used to be a time when your jobs for life, uh, relationships for life, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But, you know, that, that's been more in flux as well. And just a degree of certainty about your, your existence, you know, your material existence, how that's going to be and what you can expect. And certainly chaotic upheaval and constant change is not something that, uh, media and advertising has been selling to us. That that's not good. And even though increasing Increasingly chaotic change and upheaval have been some of the hallmarks of the early 21st century. I think it's only now that people are are having their faces slammed into the wall of change, if you know what I mean, because so much of it, particularly in the environmental uh, situation, again, whatever your personal uh, beliefs and um, ideas are around that, a lot of what uh, has been coming down the line as people have been able to ignore for other reasons. For example, you know, you, you can ignore economic problems. Uh, you can ignore environmental problems as long as the, the, the day to day tap of, you know, bounty and resources in your life remains on that, that's flowing. Uh, and I think now what we're seeing, whether it's people being, uh, becoming unemployed, all, all sorts of reasons, just the general societal upheaval, it's been, this has been dangled in front of our face, you know, that, that, that the life that you were sold, the life that you were told that you could have, that you deserved, that was yours, even if you'd never experienced anything like that before, it was coming. You know, just think of all the billions of people around the world who said, you know, cars and televisions and all that's coming. You know, just, just wait, trickle down, that we might actually be looking at a situation where that is no longer the case. And... I've never seen a sort of whipsaw reaction like the one I, I, I'm seeing now to uh, people on the one hand desperate, desperate for a return to normal, quote unquote, if you see what I mean, just to go back to what they were doing before, however vaguely unsatisfying it actually was uh, to get back to that, but also the, the, the dawning even perhaps subconscious realization that it, it might just be different this time, you know, that maybe we might actually see some changes unfold during this crisis that might, they might just be, uh, you know, episodic, you know, for example, really that the lives, the second half, half of your life and of my life might be quite different to the first half. And if we have children, maybe they won't recognize the lives that we had as children. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com